welcome to Photo Geek Weekly, episode 101, recorded on March 26th of 2020. Uh, and with me today is somebody that I'm very happy is here. Uh, I'm Don Komarechka, your host, and we always talk about photo geeky stuff. Uh, and we have some fun stuff to discuss today, not just photo news, but an announcement of sorts. Mm. And I couldn't think of somebody better to make this announcement uh, than Jordan Drake, who flew uh, from Calgary to uh, to Toronto and then drove up to Barrie while those planes were still in the air, if we remember what those were. Um, and uh, we recorded a number of episodes for a new series that uh, we are producing for DP Review on DP Review TV. And uh, Jordan, first of all, how are you? How are you surviving? And what did we do? Uh, yeah, I'm thrilled to be here, co-worker. Um, so... <laughs> <laughs> uh, so flew out. Uh, we shot four episodes of uh, yeah. What'll be the dawn? We got to find a good name for it. But I, you know what? Mad Let's scientist. Put it out there. Yeah, exactly. Ma- if you have a uh, suggestion for what, well, what Don's show should be called, and also what our show should be called, now that there's going to be two ongoing shows on the channel, I would love to hear that. Uh, but we've got the first one just came up, which is why we can now talk about what we were doing. Um, and it's, uh, I, I'm pretty happy with how the episode turned out, but everyone needs to go watch it immediately. Yes. Ever, and now do, do me this huge favor. Do me the solid here. You're listening to this podcast. Uh, I hope the, the people that are listening to this need to go and listen or watch this video on DP review. And the link is going to be in the show notes at photogeekweekly.com. It's still in the news cycle on DP review. You go to the YouTube channel, youtube.com slash DP review, uh, which works by the way, I just double checked that. Um, just find this video on how to make frozen soap bubbles and watch it. Like I two mean, or three times, ideally. Yes. Or <laughs> on a just couple like, different devices. <laughs> play it and then go make a sandwich and then come back because the video is only five minutes long and play it again. Yeah. Um, because it needs views. Because nobody's viewing this kind of content right now. And this is a, a, a start of a show um, that is... Uh, DIY, it's inventive, it's, you know, discovering the magic at home in your own backyard. And we came up with this idea well before the majority of the world was on lockdown. Um, this was a concept of just dis- rediscovering the beauty at your feet, um, that we can make the world more beautiful uh, right here, r- right where you are currently sitting uh, with a few inventive ideas and we're going to present them to you. So freezing soap bubbles was the first one. We recorded that in uh, late uh, February and uh, I think it came together incredibly well. We had just the right conditions and, uh, but it, it is lacking views. It is everybody that viewed it, loved it um, except for eight people. And I, you know, I don't like those people. It's always the same eight. It's always the same. Well, it's, it's often a lot more than eight. So I'm lucky it's only that, but, um, I want to encourage everybody to check out this series because it's going to become something incredibly valuable. Um, I have a ton of ideas and Jordan might have some too. And and Jordan might not always fly out from Calgary to record them. I might find somebody more local for that. But, uh, I think that this is a, a great avenue for creativity for inventiveness, for inspiration. And uh, even if we are well beyond the season for freezing soap bubbles, you'll get some fun ideas. You know, I throw the term buyer fringence and I had somebody contact me and they said, wow, 
I can't freeze soap bubbles, but that idea of using cross-polarized light to create random colorized filters, I'm going to apply to other areas of my work and it's going to be magic. So that is our story zero for the day is this new series on DP Review. And Jordan, thank you for uh, for making this happen. Yeah, absolutely. I'm looking forward to getting the next few out there. And we're going to try to, just with the situation going on right now, we initially talked about really staggering them, but I think we're going to try and get a few out fairly shortly. So all of you have some activities while you might be cooped up at home. Exactly. And who knows how long this is going to last. If it lasts longer and I run out of shows, I'm going to be recording them here in my studio alone. Um, And I will slowly be losing my sanity over the coming weeks. So I don't know what kind of content that's going to look like. Uh, I've been losing my sanity one snowflake at a time as as it is. So uh, we'll we'll see. Uh, But check out the video, please, please give it a watch. And if you like it, even if you don't, please pretend you do and write in the comments that you like it because we need that as well. Yeah. And right. share it. Do all those and share things. Yes. Sh- share it on Facebook, on Twitter, on anywhere else that you'd like. I haven't had uh, to push something this hard in a long time. I know. Grab, you know, grab your wife or, or husband that doesn't enjoy photography and say, hey, sit down and watch this because even non-photographers will enjoy that content and I'd get another view out of it. So, um, all right. That out of the way, Jordan, I also asked you uh, how you were surviving this. I mean, what's going on with you? And uh, I mean, I know you and Chris, the dynamic duo of DP Review TV, have done a lot of videos lately. And uh, I mean, I I see you're you're not grasping at straws, but you're trying to find things that you can do in an enclosed box, like stuff that you can do at home, right? I mean, we're in a pretty good situation uh, because we can record a lot of that stuff away from people. One big concern we've had is we've had a few guests lined up for episodes that we really wanted to do. And I am really excited this weekend, uh, probably right around the time this episode comes out, we will have our first post-lockdown episode with a guest, and we found a fairly interesting solution to do it safely uh, that I think people are really going to enjoy. So that's going to be a look at, we're comparing every preamp uh, from the major camera manufacturers and shooting them out against each other for audio quality. Uh, It's a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, I I wouldn't bank on using the built-in audio for like production work but um if you're if you're shooting with a camera and it's just you're shooting family films right now like just home videos uh, of the kids running around because they are um you know would would a better preamp and a new camera uh, without having any additional audio be of interest or heck maybe you just want to line up video and you hate the crunchy awfulness of your current camera uh what's better out there to, to make things happen that sounds like a good idea yeah. And that's yeah. for this applies for external mics as well, which we used when we were recording your episode. Uh, that's right. Send a strong signal into these cameras, which ones will uh, perform well. I was shocked by the results. Uh, I came in with a very clear idea of how it was going to pan out. Not that way at all. So also check that episode out, which will be up Saturday morning. All right. Looking forward to that. Um, now let's get into our first story, which also relates to video. And that's one another reason why I have you on. Uh, from dpreview.com. Love those guys. If you haven't figured that out already, um, I'm one of those guys now. But um, the Canon EOS R5, here's what you probably don't, uh, here's why you probably don't need 8K right now, and a few reasons why you might. So 
Now, we've had some uh, off-camera discussions about uh, 4K, 6K, 8K, why you might need one thing over another. Um, and 8K seems to be a push. I mean, we're seeing TVs, we're seeing content that uh, is being possibly produced in 8K, but people can't really even disseminate the, the difference between 8K versus 6K versus 4K because... Uh, Let's consider this. Consumers, even standing in front of a TV, pretty vibrant colors matter more than the resolution shift between 4K and 8K. Um, and I've had uh, a number of cases where, uh, you know, cell phones will shoot 4K. Uh, point and shoot cameras will shoot 4K. So will my S1H. And I don't own a, a GH5S, but I've shot with one before and it's brilliant and beautiful and it shoots 4K. Um, so what is the real difference between 4K and 8K in terms of the overall benefit? Because there's so many levels of gradation. If you jump in and get, okay, one of the first 8K cameras that is on a consumer-facing level right now, is that any better than a very polished 4K? Well, I think the article uh, that you're referring to did a really good job of laying out where you're going to see those advantages. If it's in terms of shooting and viewing 8K straight through, for most people, the difference is going to be incredibly marginal just because of the viewing distance and the size of the screens that we have to be comfortable. Um, you know, when I'm at a trade show and they're showing 8K displays right now, it's incredible. You can walk right up to it, you know, inches away from it, especially with photos, it's brilliant. Uh, and you can see that detail. But that's not how I'm ever going to consume anything at home. You know, it no, makes more sense for when, computer when, when do you walk yeah. up to a, a a display like a 50 or 80 or 100 inch TV and you stand like nose pressing against it? Yes, it's going to look better. Um, but from a proper viewing distance, that's yeah. not necessarily. But of course, nobody's even delivering any content in 8K right now of any substance, right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, they're just in Japan right now at the NHK network. Uh, that's it for 8K content if you're looking for it. And I always liken this to the old thing where people are saying, oh, you got to get a Hasselblad if you're printing billboards. It all comes down to viewing distance. I and mean, most of those are extremely low resolution images they're putting on there, which is why Apple had that successful, this billboard was shot on an iPhone campaign a long time ago. Same kind of thing. Yeah. The advantage is really when you're working with those files, the ability for creative reframing. You know, if I were shooting something where I'm putting a stuntman's life on the line, uh, I'm going to shoot that in 8K so I can pick a few different camera angles out of it because I don't want to reshoot it. That's the appeal of it. Right, uh, cropping in. Exactly. But again, this is, composition. this is in the consumer space. You know, we're not going to see films where stuntmen are putting their lives on the line being shot on a Canon R5. Um and a great example of this is I have been shooting with an S1H for quite a while now. And the only time I've really shot 6K was when I was testing the camera to review it. Uh, outside of that, I'm back to 4K because the color space is better on it. It's easier on my editing system and the file size is plenty for the uh, format that I'm working with. And so, to be honest, how many people, uh, and you might even have these statistics, I don't know, but how many people are viewing DP review TV content in 4k? I know you upload 4k, yep. um, but I, I don't know how many people are actually consuming that as a percentage of the whole. Well, I think our show is a very special case because we're reviewing image quality. So we have oh, much higher desktop viewing than most other YouTube channels. Uh, I think it's somewhere around like, 
40% of our views are on a computer, which is very rare for YouTube. The vast yeah. majority of it on most other channels is going to be mobile devices, and they're not going to play it back that way. Uh, so it just comes back again to that, that option and post. And certainly you do get a better 4K image if you shoot 8K and super sample it. But is that worth the trade-off of the enormous increase in file size? Or you have to apply very aggressive compression, which means it's just going to drag your computer to a standstill. Well, here's here's another uh, idea. So 8K and then sample it down to 4K and then you have a perceived better image quality. Mm-hmm. But what if, I mean, in terms of, uh, of bit depth and color information and what have you, that doesn't necessarily increase no. when you scale things down. I mean, yes, you might have smoother uh, gradations between specific colors as a result of that, but your ability to color grade, your ability to, uh, to just match stuff up together if it's going into another product like i I was shooting uh, 4k footage for a documentary film recently while i could have been shooting 6k on the s1h but i chose to shoot 4k because it had a higher bit depth and the final deliverable was 4k and if they need to match my content to other content from other cameras and other features that's where that really becomes useful as okay I might get some flack for this, but the EOS R5 is not going to be a production video camera. I I don't think it's what it's marketed for. I don't think it's what it's going to be. And people aren't going to be buying it for that purpose. So anybody that buys this camera and shoots 8K, what are they, what is the possibilities that they would, why would you do this? (laughs) I mean, it's it's clearly got people excited. Whenever you look at the R5 online, the headline spec is not the stuff that's really compelling to me, like, you know, having two card slots in a camera like that. <laughs> it is uh, it is that 8K headline feature. And yeah, I just think it's, it's something people will be excited to look at for the first time. But in terms of practical applications, I don't see a ton for it. The other thing that we're going to be putting out fairly soon is an episode where we're going to take an 8K camera, and we're going to put it on a motorized slider and move it incredibly slowly during a scene, uh, which is a trick that you would use on movies all the time. And if you shoot that camera at the normal, you know, we'll shoot a 24 at a 48th of a second, the motion blur completely negates any resolution advantage that you're seeing moving from 4K to 8K. So just small practical things like that. Handheld footage, again, the motion blur is, it would be the same as grabbing a, you know, S1R and shooting that all at a 48th of a second taking stills. Most of that resolution is just going to be thrown away. You just kind of blew my mind there. The fact that that 24 frames per second, which is that cinematic feel, the stuff that we go to the cinemas to enjoy, mm-hmm. um, the, the, the the classic storytelling feel of, of what we can record, um, that resolution is limited because of motion. And you're not going to get that back unless you completely remove that sense of fluidity. Yeah. Um, and, and there's no way to really reconcile those two things because they cannot coexist unless you decide to go to 60 frames per second, in which case, of course, this camera won't be able to do. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, if you have if you're like a static talking head for a uh, YouTube video and you're broadcasting that in 8K whenever that's available, well, congratulations. Uh, nobody's going to benefit from that. There's absolutely no benefit at all. Yeah. Um, but uh, hey, that's 
we're gonna we're dipping our toe into the 8k waters yeah and, and it'll get better from here and maybe there'll be more use cases for now but uh right now the the osr5 uh Thank you, Canon, for pushing 8K. And then that, I think, this is going to be the key. That's going to take all the other manufacturers up a notch. Mm -hmm. Because Nikon, Panasonic, Sony, everybody else is now, they've got 8K more in their sights than they did before because somebody else got there first. And uh, I think that is the true benefit of this and nothing more. If I can make one plea to the manufacturers, it's get compressed raw video right first and then start moving up your resolution. I am still waiting for my uh, my S1H raw output uh, via HDMI to my external recorder. I've got it all, and I'm waiting for the firmware from the various pieces and whatever else it's going to be. And with this whole global pandemic, I don't know if it's going to happen on the I, timelines that I have been hoping for. I and was thinking NAB was going to be the time, and that's over. So who knows? I, I, I don't know. <laughs> Who knows? Who knows? Uh, well, let's talk about what's affecting the industry uh, based on this as well. So uh, from DP Review as well, we have uh, Nikon temporarily suspends repairs to help reduce the transmission of COVID-19. Also related, Canon USA closes its service centers in California, Illinois, and New Jersey. And also related, Roger Sakala uh, breaks down the do's and don'ts of cleaning your camera gear and workspace. So this would be a very bad time to have your camera gear break down. Uh, and there might be news stories from every other manufacturer about service center closures or limited uh, functionality. I don't know. I didn't look to everything. Um, but we're kind of keeping it close to home right now. And I've had some scenarios where, I'll give you one right off the top, Jordan. I hope you have some too. But um, I was in uh, Istanbul. In, in Turkey, and we were just doing a touristy thing. My wife and I, we were on vacation, and I had my Canon uh, 5D Mark II and the 24 to 105 lens that was a kit lens at the time. And uh, great combination, by the way. But uh, it it failed me while I was trying to zoom in on some features up in, into the architecture. It was just giving me a lens communication error, uh, for which I would have to remove the battery from the camera to right. alleviate. And I, you know, after a little bit of troubleshooting, uh, my wife is like standing there, like tapping her foot and twiddling her thumbs, wondering what the heck are you doing? And I've got to figure out this crisis of broken camera right then and there. Um, so the lens would work fine at 24 millimeters. It just would completely fail whenever I try to take a picture at any other focal length. And that was due to a ribbon cable inside the lens. Hmm. Now, of course, the lens mount uh, has all the electrical contacts and it has to connect to the aperture assembly, which is moving through the lens as you're taking picture, as you're changing your focal length. Mm -hmm. um, and so that ribbon cable uh, at the extremes gets stressed, it gets pinched. And when it gets pinched too many times, pretty well reliably after about three years of constant use, it will break, it will uh, shatter, snap, fracture, whatever term you, it just will not make that contact anymore. And so what I had to do, because uh, we were in Istanbul, and I, here's how I pack for camera gear. I had three lenses with me. I had the 24 to 105. That would cover just about everything normally. I had my 15 millimeter fisheye lens, which I figured some fun trick shots with that. It's a workhorse. <laughs> 
Yeah. Uh, well, we were going to mosques and architecture and it might have some fun there. Um, and I had my Canon 65 millimeter MPE, uh, super extreme macro lens that can only focus 10 centimeters away from the camera and my 24 to 105 breaks. So what I had to do is I had to, uh, set my, uh, my, my lens manual focus. Cause it's not a focus by wire. So I at least had that manual focus, the lens, but in uh, when I was ready to take the picture at a focal length, other than 24 millimeters, I had to slightly dismount the lens and slightly dismounting the lens, uh, interrupted the electrical contacts. And then I was able to take the picture. And if I wanted to shoot with a smaller aperture, what I would have to do is set the camera to 24 millimeters first, set the aperture to, to what I wanted then press the depth of field preview button near the base of the lens while holding that button down, mm-hmm. slightly dismount the lens, which would keep the aperture blades locked in through discommunication and then adjust my focus and, and focal length to taste, to take the photo. And I had to do that for two weeks. I, I don't envy uh, anybody that would have to do the same thing. I mean, it's, it's, Okay, that's my worst case scenario, okay. Jordan. What do you got? Uh, well, that, nothing that irritating. I do remember back on the early days on set when lens adapters first came out and there were no electric contacts, we would actually keep a Rebel on set to do exactly what you're talking about and use Canon lenses, hold the depth of field preview, dismount it, plug it onto something. Ah, oh, damn, that's a little bit too bright. Bring it back, put it back on the Rebel, swap it out. So I've, I've been there. Um I haven't actually had that many happen. The worst one I can think of is when the uh, Fuji GFX came out. Uh, I decided, because I'm kind of a jackass, to do a sample on what a great vlogging camera it was. So I stuck it on a monopod out in front of me. But the camera is so heavy, it actually sheared the 3 8 mount right off the bottom of the camera. <laughs> uh so, you know, medium format glass isn't cheap. And this was up in the, uh, what's it called? The Tokyo tree, something like that. Giant tower. Uh, yeah. And the lens smashed and no longer functioned anything. Well, like that. Was this a production lens or was this still pre-production, very precious glass? This was production glass on a pre-production body when this one came out. But yeah, n- nothing else available there. So you'll see in the video, we've got, uh, this is our GFX 100 preview. We've got a lot of nice normal focal lengths throughout the video until that moment happens. And then for some reason, every shot is either ultra wide or super compressed because those were my (laughs) options for the rest of this uh, camera testing in Japan. Uh, So it was heartbreaking, but uh, Fuji was very good in that moment. They saw it happen and they did not decide to charge me for whatever that is, a $4,000 piece of glass or something like that. Yeah, that would be uh, very depressing. But no, I, I've had other issues with cameras too. I mean, uh, oh, I, I want to uh, echo again that Canon 24 to 105. Yeah. I paid Canon to get it fixed because they would not fix it under warranty. And I looked online and there was hundreds of people having the same issue. They still mm-hmm. would not fix it under warranty. There was no recall or anything about that. I put up a huge fuss. Uh, they charged me a reduced rate for it. Three years later, it broke again. The replacement part was just the same part. They did not mitigate the issue in any way possible. And so I have a very sour taste in my mouth when I say the word Canon. Um, 
So can I mean, Canada service especially is yeah, atro- well, it's you notoriously know atrocious. The people that I've talked to there are genuine. They're nice and everything else. But the people that I'm talking to are not the people that are making decisions. Yeah. And, uh, and so I, I'm very happy now that I was approached by Panasonic after uh, a period of time using some of their cameras to be sponsored by them. And I'm now using um, a Lumix S1R as my main camera. But I've messed that one up too. I completely mangled the shutter on that camera when I tried to uh, modify a Leica Stemar, which is a circa 1954 stereo lens, uh, which is brilliant if you're into 3D photography, which nobody listening to this is, but um, what nobody is in general. The thing with this lens is it has what they call a septum that goes down all the way back as far as it can to the, in that day, the film plane, uh, to separate any crosstalk from the left and right lenses. Cause you've got two lenses inside or two sets of lenses inside the same barrel, um, that each have a left and right kind of feel to it. And then you get a stereoscopic effect from that. But, um, I had to calculate how far that septum can go back to the shutter because the shutter's in front of the sensor, right? It's not like right next to it. There's a, there's a gap there. And so how do I measure that? Well, I, I asked, uh, the, uh, the powers that be and somebody at uh, Panasonic, uh, shouted back saying, I don't know why anybody would ever need to do this, but, um, if, uh, <laughs> if you needed to, what you would do is set the camera to a long exposure, like 10 seconds, And uh, once that exposure ends with long exposure noise reduction turned on, the shutter closes down during that process that because it'll be an extra 10 seconds. And during that 10 seconds, remove the battery from the camera and that will keep the shutter closed so that I can measure it with a caliper and see exactly what that distance was. And I calculated that to the T and I gave it an extra millimeter. But the thing with shutters are, they move, right? If I measure it when it's flat, it might bounce forward and back a little bit as it's flapping around inside the camera body because it moves really fast. And and so my calculations were based on a static shutter, not a dynamic shutter. And at some point, part of that shutter just gripped the edge of that septum going back in and just tore a chunk out of it. And I discovered that while I was in Bulgaria. Uh, a lot of love of Eastern Europe with my camera failures. <laughs> so I here I am trying to take pictures of seagulls out the window of my uh, uh, my my wife's parents' apartment uh, in Varna on the coast of the Black Sea. Beautiful place, and I kept getting this weird streak running through the frame. And it wasn't in every frame; it was invisible when I was shooting at a slow shutter speed, but increasingly more visible at a faster shutter speed. And then it dawned on me, something happened with the shutter and I paid to have that thing fixed. And the person, the repair person that I showed it to was like scratching his head and basically saying, how the hell did this happen? I have, and and I explained to him the entire thing and he was still scratching my head. It's like, who are you? This, nobody does what you just tried to do. 
uh, and you're going to have to pay for for your curiosity. And, he and is I not did. aware of your reputation going into it, this. Yeah, exactly. And so, yeah, I fixed it, and I have then since shaved a little bit off of that piece that I had specifically machined uh, or you know 3D modeled and then 3D printed. Let's call it machined. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, that was my other point of extreme failure uh, and frustration while traveling abroad. <laughs> so, uh, uh, don't break your cameras right yeah, now. That's, bad time. That, <laughs> uh, there is one thing. I first of all, I want to say Roger's article is outstanding. That's oh, let's by get far there. the best thing. Yeah. Okay. So, I, yeah, you you take that over. Uh, what what did Roger discuss? What do you like? What don't you like? What are the best practices that you might be negating yourself because you're just too lazy? Well, I had no idea that in a past life he was also a medical professional. Um, so a lot of the stuff he had was backed up by some testing. And what I found really interesting is uh, his studies on the amount of time that the uh, COVID virus, he figures, can stay on camera equipment and when it becomes safe. Now, this I found interesting because we've got- Well, hold on. How much time is that, by the way? He was saying 72 hours guaranteed. He would be extremely comfortable with 48 hours. Now, that made me think, Canon and Nikon shut down their service. How long does it take to ship your cameras to get it from your front door to those service centers. Well, they there. want to make a fast turnaround time for that, right? So, I mean, like they usually use FedEx, UPS, Purelater, and those couriers will often deliver same day if you're close enough. Right. Uh, but they could also, you know, give it an extra day sitting on the shelf once it arrives in the shipping depot. And then yeah. by all rights, it should be safe to handle at that point, uh, which I found very interesting yeah. uh, as opposed to shutting it down completely. But those centers, I'm sure, are very expensive to run. That's why we've seen a lot of companies shut them down. This may just be a cost saving measure because those camera companies are in trouble right now. Yep. Yeah. Well, and so. Uh, w- Roger was saying how long viruses and things can last on gear, but in general, I mean, I, I'm guilty of this. I have, I just breathed on the front element of a lens <laughs> and used my shirt to wipe it off. Uh, I, I'm, I'm a terrible person. Are, are you a terrible We've, person, Jordan? I try not to be a terrible person, but there have been many <laughs> circumstances where I've been exactly that terrible. <laughs> <laughs> I think so, you saw me actually while I was in uh, it, it may have happened it may have uh, but um I, I actually like I've got some really uh, fancy sensor cleaning solutions and swabs. I use visible dust products. Mm-hmm. Uh, they don't sponsor me at all, but I've just really been a fan of them since I first purchased them. And I, I'm a re- repeat customer. Um, and so visible dust Canadian company, by the way, uh, mm-hmm. but uh, they uh, they make swabs and solutions and bulb blowers that have uh, uh, filters on them so they don't suck in dust um, so that they don't blow out dust as well. And, and a lot of good stuff from them. Um, so, I mean, take a look at this article, watch how they describe how they personally take care of their equipment, Mm -hmm. because this is a company that receives stuff back in very poor form. I mean, uh, I actually want to have Roger on an episode of Inside the Lens to just share with me his war stories, you know, of the camera gear that comes back in such irreparable shape. I mean, yes, sometimes you can fix little things as they come in by buying an extra part or whatever, but I'm sure he's got stories of stuff that is just a lost cause and maybe some explanation uh, a a bit uh, half donkeyed as to how it actually got that way. Uh, But (laughs) that's... Uh, that that might happen in the future. I'll reach out to Roger uh, now that we're all playing the whole stay-at-home game. He might be uh, uh, happy to to have that talk. But 
uh, yeah, it was fun. It was, it was fun. The last time he was on Photo Geek Weekly, a yeah. uh, number of weeks it was a great ago. Episode, yeah. It was a great episode. Yeah, we had a lot of fun with that. Um, okay, let's uh, switch gears a little bit into a legal ease talk, which, you know, I, it's it's kind of distant in our minds now. Some of these legal battles and stuff that uh, that photographers or any artist of any kind might be facing. Um, but this, I thought, was important enough to bring up. So from Petapixel, uh, the Supreme Court in the United States um, just decided that states cannot be sued for copyright infringement. So when you read this headline, Jordan, what were your first thoughts? I, I, I was kind of shocked. I mean, I remember this has been going on for, you know, over a decade now. And I really thought that case was over, solved and thrown out. Um, and yeah, I mean, there's quite a few different reasons that a state could use uh, any variety of photography. And it sucks that now you have this uh, this standard. What's the word I'm looking for for a standard, Don? A precedent. Legally. A precedent. Thank you. That's why I like doing this show. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, that's established now. And yes, I do think there's going to be a lot of room to fight it. And they mention in the article uh, that you could certainly go after, you know, a lot of the time the state's not producing things themselves. They're using a third party source to do that. You could go after that for copyright infringement, but it just sucks to see any development that could potentially take money out of photographers' pockets. Right. And and the the point is too, that, how do you ever know that a third party did it? I mean, you might have that information, but that would be in in the minority. I mean, if you just approach an attorney, and a lot of them will work on a contingency basis for copyright, especially if you've registered the copyright for your images. Um, but if it's a state actor, uh, they are not going to go after it at all. They're mm -hmm. not going to do any research or investigation because there's a very good chance that it wasn't a third party, and they'd right. be wasting their time to try to figure that out, sending letters and starting the whole process. Um, and I've gone through that. Because I've had some uh, educational institutions within the United States that are state-owned mm. um, that have infringed on my copyright. And I thought, well, this is a slam dunk case. Right. I am going to get my mortgage payments for the month out of this because they infringed in a very egregious and obvious way. Um, and I approached a number of attorneys and they said, not going to take it. Uh, that, that The term is sovereign immunity, um, where... I guess based on it being, maybe it's on a federal level too. I'm not sure in the United States. We're only talking a state level here. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, if you are a government entity, then you are uh, you are protected from some things like copyright. Now, what does that practically mean for us? Well, you can't sue your government because they stole your stuff, which I'm sure there's a lot of ways that you can't sue your government because they stole your possessions in general as well. So, I mean, uh, but this, I think, if you were to take this into the court of public opinion, not the court of law, mm -hmm. but just call them out and kind of shame people about this stuff you might actually have more uh, uh, more legroom here to kind of stretch out your, your muscles right. than uh, if you were to uh, approach the court of law because politicians do, do not like bad press. I mean, they get it every day, don't get me wrong, on every side of the table. But if you present them with something that could make them look bad, that unfortunately, in today's climate, is probably worth more than a letter from a lawyer, yeah. so long as you follow it up properly. 
and uh yeah like that's the that's the world we live in i mean we we can sue other governments um it's the u.s that has this protection uh i i there have been some settlements that I have had that do not have non-disclosure agreements. Most of my copyright settlements do, hmm. but the ones with the the government of Canada do not have non-disclosure agreements through Global Affairs Canada. And I can possibly discuss that a little bit. Hmm. Uh, I mean, I don't want to go into extreme details, but when, when I sign off the release, I have to release Her Majesty the Queen. Uh, and I, I guess if they're non- non-disclosure you can probably look up these documents that i've signed if you if you know where to look but um that kind of made me feel happy um <laughs> i i don't know why uh, yes i got paid for work that sh i should have had been licensed and that's a reason to be happy because we all need to have a paycheck in the mail um but not every government works the same as the united states government right. and so if you're trying to pursue your copyright jordan and i are both canadians and we're also both not lawyers right. uh so take everything that we say here with a grain of salt but uh i think yeah. they would have figured that out when i couldn't remember the word precedent so <laughs> i don't know if that needed explaining well, you know, to be fair, I tried to approach uh, an attorney in the UK to try and find somebody in the UK that would work on contingency. And uh, all the good lawyers said no. And then I found this guy. And he. Uh, th this is a case that I still haven't pursued because I ha haven't found somebody that's willing to do it uh, on a contingency basis. But uh, he sent me an initial contract, like the, the first phase of just establishing a, a relationship. And he spelt my name wrong five times in four different ways. I mean, it would be one thing if it was spelled wrong five times in the same way, just a copy right. and paste error, but five times in four different ways. I am not going to sign off a power of attorney to that gentleman. Uh, it's, <laughs> so jordan you say you don't remember the word precedent you can at least spell my name so you've got a leg up there perfect <laughs> all right well if you want to see this story and you want to read into all the legalese because we're all bored at home mm -hmm. i'll have the links to that in the show notes at photogeekweekly.com but um i think that this is just going to be a back and forth. This does set a precedent now that it's gone to the Supreme Court and we'll see how that all shakes out in the future and how that uh, changes the way that we protect ourselves uh, as photographers, as creators, as artists in general. Uh, and uh, strange times we are in on every front. All right. Let's talk about fake news, because uh, that's a fun phrase to say. I think it's the first time I've said it on this podcast. And I'm I'm being a little... Uh, You're using it here. properly there. Yeah. I, I am using it properly. Well, so fake is fake and news together, I think, is the proper word here, because fake is not true. And news is true, but when you put them together, it's not. So from Petapixel, uh, from National Geographic, those viral animal photos that you've been seeing on Twitter are fake. Now, that headline is wrong. The photos themselves do not appear to be doctored. They right. appear, in general, to be authentic. However, they are completely framed in uh, 
fake contexts yep. uh, overall. So uh, what are these contexts? Jordan. Uh, we've got the famous Venice ones. Um, I think there's two from Venice right now with the dolphins, the dolphins and the fish. Yeah, yeah. Yep. And the, uh, the clear water there, um, which, yeah, I, I admit I was just scrolling through and I was just happy to see something nice on my feed. So I didn't investigate it. It just went to the back of my brain until I saw this article. Uh, but yeah, it's, um, it's just taken completely out of context and, People are so desperate for any sort of good news these days. I guess it kind of blew up. Right. So, well, hold on. Let's describe a little bit about what happened okay. here. Yeah. Um, so the um, uh, uh, dolphin swimming in Venice, it says also fake. Uh, the video in the tweet above, and if you check the article to see this, mm -hmm. uh, was filmed uh, in a port in Sardinia, uh, where you've always been able to find dolphins. Um, and the swans and the fishes suddenly returned to the canals in Venice. Uh but uh, Dali reports that the swans are frequent visitors to the canals in Burano, a small island in Venice, and the fish are also always there. Uh, so nothing to see here except 1 million likes and over 282,000 retweets. But what gets me is when people start not only just taking this content and there was the elephants that were getting drunk on, on right, wine, yes, yep. uh, which was completely not true as well. You've got some elephants sleeping and some elephants congregating. And all of a sudden you can just say, Hey, the people aren't there. The elephants, the animals are going to party when the people aren't there to control them. Um, but then it gets really fun when people use a, um, an app or a template called break your own news, yes. uh, to overlay breaking news. Um, Russia unleashes more than 500 lions on its streets to ensure that people are staying indoors during the pandemic outbreak. Okay. Got a little live moniker on the top, a little ticker on the bottom. Uh, there's no network branding right. on this, right? So, I mean... I didn't pick up on that right away until they mentioned it in the article, mm -hmm. but anybody that's breaking news, they're going to make it theirs, right? Yeah, they're they want to take the credit it. for it. Yeah, exactly. Well, exactly. And so there's a photo of a lion walking down a street. I don't know where that photo's from. I, I don't know if it's real or not. I haven't vetted that part of this, but I know that Russia did not unleash 500 lions. I have no follow-up. I also agree that Russia did not release 500 lines. But that uh, breaking news thing, I have seen that all over the place. And yeah, it didn't quite click into my brain. Like, yeah, just look for the network on it. That's smart right. advice. Uh, COVID-19 found in toilet paper. Breaking news live. Uh, no. No, we've we've discussed that. We've discussed the lifetime of this particular thing. And yes, when we get packages that come in the mail because we're not leaving the house right now, we're ordering a lot of stuff online. It comes in the mail. I put it into our sunroom and I let it sit there for a day mm -hmm. because even though the contents inside might be three or four days old since it's been packaged, cardboard has a 24-hour life cycle of possibly having the virus. I don't need it right away. They ship it faster than I need this stuff. Yeah. Um, I have some beef jerky sitting in my sunroom from Alberta that I am so desperate to dig into, but it arrived today and I'm not going to be able to touch that stuff until yesterday. And you know how good that stuff is. I've had that jerky. That is outstanding jerky. <laughs> okay. <laughs> This is a real struggle you've got here, Don. It's a real struggle. Uh, I got to deal with pepperettes in the meantime. Uh, <laughs> okay. Uh, that is our news for the week. And it is a lighter news week. So we might wrap up a little bit sooner than usual. But I hope you've been having fun listening to us. Let's get into our picks of the week. Um, I've got one 
that is a stay-at-home gem because I hope we are all staying at home. Unless you are in the transportation industry, in the service industry that is deemed essential, if you're a uh, frontline worker uh, in in medical institutions, you have my utmost respect. Yeah. Uh, and keep keep on fighting the good fight. But for me as a macro photographer, and for other people that are into that kind of thing and they're now stuck at home, there's a kit available that will help you out a lot. Uh, from Platypod, uh, they have their Max Macro Bundle, which includes a Platypod Max, uh, four gooseneck flexible arms that can screw into that base, which is this big metal base that's really sturdy and stable, uh, and two Lytra torches, which are little cube-like, uh, little cube-like lights that have an array of uh, what's that four by four LEDs on it. That uh, it gets intensely bright at the highest level, and it's a very short throw. It spreads out very quickly. It's a nice soft light. It even comes with a diffuser. Um, this is a great uh, rechargeable batteries. Uh, a great little kit for you to just have at home. It's all you need to do most macro lighting for just about everything, unless you're doing the freezing soap bubble stuff that we did where you need a more directional light and a, a flashlight you have in your closet might work. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you can adapt that. We actually used a Platypod Max, a gooseneck arm, and a crab clamp to, yep. to shoot that. And it was perfect because it was just, uh, you're able to get exactly the right angle very quickly. So this Macro Max bungle, uh, bundle is normally... Uh, 339 it's now on as a continuing sale from their black friday sales in november they just realized everybody was gravitating towards this so they kept it going i don't know for how long in the current climate this will last mm-hmm. uh, but it's on for 279 so there's a pretty good savings uh and uh i i like it uh yeah. this is this is a good kit if if you're looking you can spend like 500 dollars on a flash uh for regular photography stuff portraiture you know event photography that you're probably not going to be doing a whole lot of right now we're 279 us for this kit i think makes a lot of sense if you're holed up at home you got a lot of stuff around you that you might be able to be inventive with and uh in future episodes of my series we'll show you how to use those things to make interesting images and a kit like this i think would be helpful yeah, and just having two of those little Lytra lights, let alone outside of macro, those are great little, you know, you need a little hair light or something like that. They're just awesome to always have around, and they're waterproof. So right there, it's worth getting two very useful lights, and you've got a macro setup. Weather resistant, I would say. I oh. I, I wouldn't necessarily, because it's got this little uh, rubber port on the back, which mm. I think is pretty well sealed, but I, I wouldn't drop it at the bottom of the pool. Okay, noted. Right. Okay. Uh, what do you got for me, Jordan? I've got, I actually used these while I was out uh, in Barrie, the Rode Wireless Go. Um, now we've been using a whole variety of different microphone setups, uh, shooting our show for quite a while. And one thing we've really been fighting with, with the last two that I liked, the um, the Deity Connect and the uh, Rode Wireless um road link system is they're both huge uh it's a lot of bulk and especially i'm traveling well in a past life i was traveling quite a bit. so uh those always tended to get a lot of scrutiny when we were going through uh so road has now brought out an incredibly small and very simple wireless system all it has for controls on it is output levels uh and then you can just sync stuff up 
you can use them. Uh, it just comes with a small receiver and transmitter uh, that's like a size of a piece of gum. Uh, you can use the standalone one, um, and it's a little short-range Omni, which I love as an interview mic. Sit it between two people, uh, and it'll do a really nice job picking up both of them at an even level. But then you can also grab, they've got their own uh lavalier mic that you can just clip into it it's very affordable i think it's about 80 dollars canadian right now and it's a good sounding microphone so uh with all those pieces for just over 300 dollars, you've got a very capable wireless setup that i've been really impressed with the audio quality from yeah the uh the, the price in the u.s for the whole kit including the lav mic is uh 278 uh, if you just want it without the lav, uh, then it's 213, I believe. Uh, but you can get the kits that have two of them together for uh, 448 US. And so in terms of what you get um, for the dollar value, I mean, I've spent uh, $200 on just a lav. I've yep. got a really nice, uh, I, I think it was Sure that made it. Uh, and I replaced that on a previous kit that I had because the mic broke and I just wanted to uh, up my game a bit and I rarely use it. Uh, but my, my point is that it has never been more affordable to have production quality audio yep. for something that everybody's going to enjoy. And this kit, I, I mean, I saw it in action. I know that this works really well. The only gripe that I have is it's so small, yes. you might lose it. Yeah. There, you might waste 15 to 20 minutes digging around in a basement trying to find a transmitter that you put in a bag uh, just in the wrong spot. But it's so small that uh, it's very easy to misplace, it turns out. We may or may not have firsthand experience of this. Yes. But, uh, so small sizes have their detriments uh, occasionally. But I think this is a great kit. And so long as you know where you put it, maybe wrap it in orange tape. Uh, just to make sure it's visible, <laughs> then you won't forget it anywhere. Uh, but thank you for that picture. Yeah, I also think it makes a lot of sense because we've got so many people now who are, you know, dialing in and trying to, you know, explain something or demonstrate something remotely. Uh, a lav microphone is the best way to do that. If you're demonstrating live on a webcam or something like that, your hands are free. Uh, I think it's going to be really useful. And also, if you're just calling into a little. Uh, Zoom meeting or a Skype meeting, something like that. Uh, don't use your computer's built-in microphone with the clickety-clacks going on in the sound all the time. Uh, just plug a little lapel microphone in it. And with the wireless goes, that's wireless. You don't have to worry about any cables getting bumped or anything like that. And everybody in the meeting with you will hugely appreciate it. I guarantee you. That gives me a great idea because my wife, uh, being a nurse right now, uh, she's a, a teacher. Uh, she teaches nursing students uh, on on many different levels, uh, usually in the field, but now, of course, uh, mm -hmm. from home. And so she had her first webinar experience today, and it went well. I cannot attest to the quality of the audio on the laptop she was using. So I will loan her that lav go. mic that I have, um, and, uh, and hopefully her students will be like, wow, you sound great the next time. Time, and I'll look even better. There you go. Uh, exactly. <laughs> got got to keep things positive at home, right? Yes. Yeah. All right. So with all that said, thank you all for listening. I appreciate everybody that listens to Photo Geek Weekly. A reminder, check out that video on DP Review TV, the freezing soap bubble one. Watch it. It's good. Watch it multiple times. <laughs> Comment. Tell us back to us that it's good. And, uh, <laughs> and with all that said... It's time to stay in and shoot. Music